Welcome to the Prison Care Podcast. I'm Sabrina Justison, founder of PrisonCare.org, equipping compassionate people to support the often invisible people groups who make up a prison neighborhood. The inmate residents, correctional officers, staff, administration, and the families of all these folks. Join me for this week's episode and be encouraged to think, care, and respond as we explore the challenges facing prison neighborhoods everywhere. Let's support positive prison culture from the outside, because everyone on the inside matters. Welcome to Episode 20 of the Prison Care Podcast. I'm Sabrina, and I am so happy you've chosen to listen. Research on recidivism, that's the cycle of a person returning to prison after they've been released because they commit another crime. So that revolving door thing on prisons, that's recidivism. Research including a study that was done earlier in 2022 by the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine teaches us a lot about what it takes for someone to be successful in attempting to reenter society as a returning citizen to avoid that cycle of recidivism, right? To, to be one of the ones for whom serving a prison sentence really is a one-time experience. The same things that a returning citizen needs after making parole are the things that they need during their time in prison, because much of what poises them for success in reentry is a networking of people, um, a network of people who are investing in their life different kinds of people. They need family, if family can offer a healthy relationship. They need friends. They need the right kind of friends. I mean, you know, true friends who want to see them make wise choices, do hard things that will pay off in the end. I mean, a lot of them had people that they called friends who ended up being part of the reason that they ended up in prison. So we're not talking about those kind of friends. We're talking about true friends. They need encouragers not yes men, and not people who throw a pity party for them, but real encouragers, people who draw their attention to the things that the incarcerated person is doing right and applaud them for it and remind them that they do have what it takes to turn things around, even when they're weary trying. So in today's episode, I'm going to share on a, like an anecdotal level about the formation of the first prison care compassion team, because that's what a compassion team is for. A compassion team is people who have decided to offer themselves as uh, the right kind of friends, we'll call them, as true encouragers, and as a resource that will help end the cycle of recidivism, because people will emerge at the end of their prison sentences ready to succeed as returning citizens. So that's what we're going to dig into today, the story of the very first prison care compassion team and the uh, driving philosophy behind this idea of true friendship, the driving philosophy behind the model of the compassion team, why it works and why we desperately need more compassion teams around the country. And just as a reminder, Prison Care is a 100% compassionate person supported 501c3 nonprofit organization. And we rely on the donations of people who believe in our vision 
to make it possible for us to keep equipping others to learn about prison neighborhoods, to begin forming connections with incarcerated people and the staff who are charged with their care, custody, and control, and offering free resources that equip them to create compassion teams to adopt the prison they have begun to care for. Each compassion team is self-supporting, raising their own funds to cover the cost of specific appreciation events they hold for staff or specific programs of support that they design for the residents in their chosen facility. But the starting point is here at Prison Care Incorporated, and we are so grateful for your generosity in contributing to the national organization and making it all possible. If you want to learn more, if you want to learn how to get involved financially, the information is all on the website at prisoncare.org. We're really not fans of soliciting. I don't like asking people for money. I think that when people believe in the vision, when they catch the vision, when they believe in the mission, when they internalize that mission, when they truly care, I think they'll support us. So we don't pester people. We don't send out email letters asking for money. We don't post on social media pestering people. We just let you know that we're 100% compassionate person supported. And you can find out how to become a part of that if you would like to by visiting prisoncare.org. Now, for people who don't know the backstory of Prison Care Incorporated, here is the, I don't know, 92nd version, maybe, of the story. In early 2018, after a long battle with untreated mental illness and a 13-month stretch with very limited contact with anyone but his deeply troubled wife, my son Jay killed someone and went to prison in Colorado. I live on the East Coast. We gradually were reconciled, I guess, through letters and phone calls during 2018. And then I made a couple of visits to the prison in 2019, traveling to Colorado to see him. Our times of conversation were very intentional. Jay had no access to meaningful mental health care in the prison, but he desperately wanted to rebuild his life when the delusion he'd been living in for over a year finally was broken. He wanted to learn to manage his symptoms. He wanted to change, and he needed someone on the outside to help him do that. Someone to read all the books that he couldn't get access to easily. Somebody to listen to all the podcasts to ask questions of all the mental health professionals that I could create a connection to. He needed someone to help him get his hands on the tools that he could use to begin to heal, to find a new way forward. It wasn't therapy. I had no formal education or training, but we did what we could to learn like together, basically. Over time in these conversations, Jay would often note that most of the people around him didn't have anybody in their lives who was living outside the fence, but was deeply invested in their journey inside the fence. He noted the general struggle for mental wellness that required everybody in the prison to work really hard to stay okay, to stay stable. Because prison is a super negative environment. I mean, anxiety is a problem for everyone. Depression is a problem for everyone. Sleep disturbances are a struggle for just about everyone. Frustration is constant. A sense of despair is hovering just out of sight, waiting to drag you down. Oh, and the hypervigilance. Oh my goodness, the hypervigilance. Exhausting. And as he related various stories about his daily activities, 
both of us began to note that it was probably almost as bad among the correctional officers as it was among the inmates. They were all fighting the same battle for their mental well-being. They were all exhausted. They were all under-resourced and in need of support. So this all got us thinking. If negativity is contagious, and we all know that it is, <laughs> couldn't positivity be contagious as well? I mean, what would happen if Jay kept growing as a person who lived with intentionality, who looked for ways to actually live while serving his sentence, and who encouraged others around him to do the same? It's a big dream. It's a big dream. It's a lot of pressure on one person. But see, it wasn't really just one person because Jay had me on his team. And he'd begun to make some friends, some really great people, okay, the right kind of friends, right? Working hard on themselves just like he was inside the prison. And I started reaching out to them from time to time with like a short note in the mail, a postcard, thanking them for being good friends to my son, cheering their efforts to choose life and growth while they were serving their sentences. And some of them wrote back. And before long, I had five pen pals. And I was learning what kind of music they liked to listen to, and whether they liked poetry or thought it was boring, and what they did when anxiety got to be too much and they had to find a safe release valve. Just getting to know each other. And then came COVID. Everything shut down. No more visits. Tight limits on phone time because the prison was on modified lockdown. They was struggling mightily, and so was everybody around him. So I stepped up the letter-writing efforts, and I offered, like, I don't know, a listening ear on paper to anybody who wanted to share about life during COVID lockdown. I asked my pen pals to feel free to ask any of their friends who seemed likely to appreciate a letter from me periodically, and then share their names and DOC numbers with me if they said yes, they would like that. And before long, I had 10 pen pals. And I realized that soon I was going to be hard pressed to keep up. So I shared this situation with a few friends at my church, and immediately we got the idea to work together to form a team that would reach out to guys who were in their cells an average of 23 hours a day because of coronavirus. I asked each of my pen pals if they would like to hear from some friends of mine who wanted to write, and it just kind of took off from there. But that was really just the start, because my friends on the outside now wanted to learn all they could about what life was like for their new friends on the inside. It started with a single point of connection, right? Me connecting to my son. And then it grew to my son connecting to friends on the inside and him connecting me to those friends on the inside. And now me connecting to my friends on the outside, connecting them to my son and his friends on the inside. We started meeting monthly to just offer updates about what was going on in the facility, to share information about life inside a prison. Totally new information for most of them. I mean, it had been for me just a couple of years before, you know, until my son became incarcerated. I never paid attention to prisons. I didn't know anything about what life was like in a prison neighborhood. Now they wanted to know 
They wanted to learn because they felt connected. We all began to connect in a more genuine, more informed, educated way with our pen pals. And those conversations, just like the early phone conversations between Jay and his mom, began to make it crystal clear that the staff in the prison were facing many of the same challenges that the inmates were. That the staff were essentially forgotten or ignored by the world outside. And that they needed care as well. I remember a pivotal moment for me. I saw a social media post from someone who worked as a CEO. And it was a frame around her profile picture that said, I can't stay home to save lives. I'm a corrections officer. She was in a locked down facility the vast majority of the hours in her week. She was overwhelmed, anxious, frustrated, depressed. And all while TV was covered with commercials and public service announcements reminding us to thank our first responders and hospital staff. And no one was talking about the sacrifices being made by corrections professionals. I realized that the sacrifice of those COs was what was keeping my son alive, keeping him fed, making it possible for him to shower or to even call me once a week for 15 minutes while he was out of his cell briefly for shower time. As I talked about these things with the folks on our team at LifePath Church, we were all so moved. We felt like a challenge was being offered to us. Would we accept it? You know, would we like change this out of sight, out of mind narrative that characterizes prison neighborhood? Would we dedicate ourselves to learning more about prisons, about how they work, the many ways that they don't work, the stuff that none of us had ever thought about before? Would we help others begin to think about it too? That was mid-year 2020, and here we are two and a half years later. Challenge accepted, I guess. Oh, connections are invaluable. There is no way for people who are incarcerated to expect success after prison if they don't find ways to connect with people who will encourage them in their journey of rehabilitation and growth. How, how can incarcerated people form those connections? I mean, if they have healthy relationships with people in their families, they can lean into those for sure. And a few of the guys that I've gotten to know in Jay's facility have support from family but most of them do not. Or they have maybe only one person in their family who is really rooting for them. They know that it's their own fault. They've burned bridges in the past. But it ends up not mattering whose fault it is. If there are no healthy family relationships to draw strength from, they're going to have to look elsewhere. Friends from before prison might be a part of the answer for some people, but Again, many of the friends who were there before prison are part of the reason they're in prison. And many of the friends who were not a part of the problems that led to their incarceration, they might be unwilling to reconcile because of past trauma, you know, past hurt, burned bridges. What would be great would be new friends. Wise choices and friendships that would allow for a fresh start with no baggage from the past drama, a connection to new friends who will encourage growth 
encourage diligence, foster hope, provide a a sense of personal value, like an attitude of mutual respect in your daily activities, like all that good stuff. And where exactly are incarcerated people supposed to find these new friendships? For those who are drawn to religious faith and practice, there's some opportunity in the religious programming and the volunteer groups that sometimes offer worship services, Bible studies, even mentoring programs. And that is a wonderful thing. But so many people in prison are not open to connections that come in religious wrappings. You can hold whatever opinion you'd like about whether people should have faith in God or not. But the simple truth is that some people are not honestly seeking that, and they're unwilling to pretend to have a faith that they don't. And so they steer clear of anything that smacks of religion. Now, I told you that our first compassion team for prison care was from my church, right? So didn't that make us problematic? Well, I mean, I'm sure we made some missteps early on, especially, and we have learned and we have tweaked things over time. But we came at this opportunity as a chance to extend loving attention to people who were having to do life very much alone, locked down in prison during COVID. We wanted to offer a friendship that periodically said like, hey, guess what? You are not forgotten. Because I'm thinking of you, and you know that that's true because you're holding my letter in your hand, right? So, what's up? Just casually reaching out and reminding people that they matter. And we came at this as learners. We didn't come in with a solution to offer. We came in asking, how can we help? We asked the guys that we were writing to what was helpful and what was not what felt comfortable, what felt artificial. We learned to avoid saying churchy things like praying for you. I mean, even if we were praying for them, we didn't say it because that was off-putting to some of the very people that we wanted to get to know. People that we just wanted to remind that somebody remembers them and somebody cares. I mean, what mattered is they were people and every person is worthy of love and care. So, a church group can totally be a compassion team that has pen pals but does not pressure anyone into pretending to hold to a belief system that's not genuine for them. You can value people as they are, encourage them to embrace living, to resist despair, and never once actually make religious belief a point of contention between the two of you. But our team wanted to reach staff too. We were learning more and more about life as a corrections professional. We became friends with a retired CO and learned so much from him. We couldn't figure out a way to like connect personally with staffers at the facility. But we figured everybody can use a little cash, so we sponsored an event where we hand-wrote thank you cards, thank you for a hard job done well, and included a $5 Walmart gift card in each of them. And we sent them to the HR manager at the prison and asked them to distribute one to each CO for National Correctional Officer Appreciation Week, the first week of May every year. We've brainstormed a lot of ideas for showing care to the staff at the prison, and we have to be very patient. That's what we're learning. Building trust with administration at a prison is a slow process. We're accepting that, but we are seeing progress. 
There's an openness from the facility chaplain. Uh, there was a willingness to post notices all around about our availability as pen pal encouragers and cheerleaders for any inmate who asks for some care. We're a small team. We're a small team, but we're making a difference. For a few people, two-thirds of the way across the country, inside one prison facility, we've demonstrated interest and compassion. We've respected the value of individual humans. We've remembered people who feel forgotten. We've, we've cared. If it can't start small, if one person whose life is made better, more hopeful, more determined to grow, if that one person doesn't count, then we're using the wrong kind of math, friends. One person does matter. And when you decide to adopt a prison neighborhood and start with encouraging one person, it's not long before that care becomes contagious. A person who feels valued and cared for is able to value and care for other people around them. See, they're no longer trying to pour from an empty cup. Fill one cup inside a prison. Fill one cup and see what happens. People who are incarcerated need many things. They need advocates in the court system. They need protection. They need money on their books. They need access to medical care. They need mental health resources. Oh, my word. They need education. They need vocational training. They need the arts. They need communication skills. The list goes on and on. They don't need these things because we feel sorry for them for ending up in prison. This is not a hug-a-thug position I'm taking. It doesn't matter how tough on crime your political position may be. If upwards of 90% of incarcerated people are eventually going to be released and live down the street from you, don't you want to provide them with what they need to be rehabilitated before they unpack their underwear three doors down? I mean, they need support because they need to change for the better before they return to society outside the razor wire. So fill one person's cup because you see them as a person with a complicated story, with a challenging life, a person who breaks your heart, or fill one person's cup because you want them to find what they need to get their crap together before they move into your apartment building. It doesn't matter. People in prison need support to reach rehabilitation. They need it, and we can provide it. One small effort at a time, we could change the world for an individual person in a prison. And then their life can touch the lives of those around them. What might happen if a prison's culture gradually, organically, became more positive, less destructive, less toxic, because we kept filling up cups? and encouraging them to share their water with others. Incarcerated people need friends like that. We need to be those kind of friends. Do these ideas stir something in you? Do they make you want to talk about prisons? To place prisons on the minds of people who have just kind of forgotten or ignored them up until now? I hope so. Oh, I hope so. I hope you will share this podcast. I hope you'll join our Facebook group. I hope you'll follow us and interact on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the places. 
ask questions, share your stories, share our content with other people who might be interested. Email me, sabrina at prisoncare.org. Let's connect. We are stronger when we link arms. Thanks for being the kind of person who wants to listen to something called the Prison Care Podcast. Thanks for deciding to learn more about ways for compassionate people to support positive prison culture from the outside. Thanks for considering becoming a pen pal encourager or starting a prison care compassion team of your own like LifePath did. Thanks for believing in this vision and supporting the national organization financially. Thanks for refusing to forget about all the people behind the fence. Thanks, friends, for caring. Thanks for listening to the Prison Care Podcast. Be sure to visit us at prisoncare.org. Prison Care, equipping compassionate people to support positive prison culture from the outside. Because everyone on the inside matters.